We've been focused on the book of Acts this summer, in which its author, Luke, traces events and developments in the earliest decades of the church, first under the leadership of Peter and then of Paul. These early Christians and their leaders take the hope and idealism that came out of the resurrection and the gift of the Holy Spirit that they received at Pentecost, and they lead the Christian movement from its roots in Judaism and Jerusalem into the Greco-Roman world, which is a movement across cultures, across religions, and across geography. For the last sermon in this series, I want us to follow as a disagreement arises between Paul and other leaders of the church concerning whether, in light of the impending threat to Paul's life, he should go to Jerusalem. As I read a few verses from Acts, I ask you to pay particular attention to the role of the Holy Spirit in these texts in what on the surface appears to be a simple dispute on where next to travel. So we're going to begin in Acts 19.21. If you want to turn to your uh, pew Bibles, it's on page 131 in the New Testament. So reading in Acts 19.21. Now after these things had been accomplished, Paul resolved in the Spirit to go through Macedonia and Achaia and then to go to Jerusalem. He said, after I have gone there, I must also see Rome. Then on the next page, in Acts 20, verses 22 and 23, Paul is speaking to the elders at Ephesus about his plans. And now, as a captive to the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and persecutions are awaiting me. Then in chapter 21, starting at verse 1, Luke describes the beginning of the trip from Ephesus to Jerusalem. When we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. When we found a ship bound for Phoenicia, we went on board and set sail. We came inside of Cyprus, And leaving it on our left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre because the ship was to unload its cargo there. We looked at the disciples and we stayed there for seven days. Through the Spirit, they told Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we left and proceeded on our journey. And all of them, with wives and children, escorted us outside the city. There we knelt down on the beach and prayed.
and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship and they returned home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Come Holy Spirit, Heavenly Dove, come kindle the flame of sacred love in these expectant hearts of ours. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Most of us learn in elementary school, I I think still, that human history has lived through the Bronze Age and the Ice Age and the Stone Age. In high school or college, we learn about the Middle Ages, the Age of Enlightenment, the Age of Exploration. It may well be that when historians look back on our time in history, if our decades rise to the honor of receiving a title, we will be known as the Age of Disagreement. (laughs) We seem to disagree over our politics, our policies, our presidents. We disagree over our priorities as a people. And if we live in the United Kingdom, we seem to disagree over whether to exit the European Union, how to exit, and even whether or not Parliament should meet to try once again to exit. So deep is the disagreement across the waters that one of the most calm and stately people on the face of the earth, Queen Elizabeth, has been drawn into this disagreement in the 67th year of her reign. No matter the country, we live in an age of disagreement. As much as we might yearn and expect otherwise, disagreement is never absent for very long in the life and history of the Christian movement, the church. Following the burst of energy and hope coming out of Pentecost, Luke tells us at two places that these earliest believers were together and had all things in common and that no one claimed private ownership over any possessions. Yet these bold claims are followed with stories of two disciples, Ananias and Sapphira, who sell property and hold back on what they get give to of their share to the church and of different groups within the church claiming that their widows were not being cared for as equitably as other widows in the church. Later in Ephesus and Tyre, a dispute breaks out between the Apostle Paul and his colleagues concerning whether or not Paul should go to Jerusalem in light of the impending threats on his life that he will face there. Paul says yes, many of his colleagues say no. But what makes this dispute about more than geography or strategic travel itineraries is that Paul and the Christians entire each claim to speak from a deeply held sense that the Holy Spirit is guiding them in their position on this matter. You heard it earlier, but listen again. Paul resolved in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. 
As a captive to the Spirit, he says, I am on my way to Jerusalem. Yet, through the Spirit, leaders in Tyre told Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Disagreement. Serious disagreement. Between Paul as a leader of the church and leaders of the church in Tyre and Ephesus, both factions, quote, resolved in, captive to, or making their decision through the Spirit. Now in Luke and Acts, both of which were written by Luke, the Holy Spirit appears as a major character. It is the Spirit which is said to come upon Mary and overshadow her, leading the child to be born from her to be holy and to be called the Son of God. It is the Spirit that descends upon Jesus as a dove at his baptism and drives him into the wilderness to be tempted. At Pentecost, it is the Spirit that appears to disciples after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, manifesting itself as tongues of fire resting on each of them and enabling them to speak and hear in languages not their own. The Holy Spirit is such a prominent character in Luke and Acts that the book of Acts is sometimes referred to as the gospel of the Holy Spirit. What this means for us is that when Paul is determined to go to Jerusalem, knowing full well that he will face persecution and the threat of death, that determination comes from his being sent by the Spirit. Likewise, when the Christians at Tyre and later at Ephesus urge Paul not to go to Jerusalem, knowing full well he will face persecution and the threat of death, they too are being led by the Spirit. Thus, this is not just a disagreement over travel plans, but rather it is a disagreement between two groups of people, Paul and his close associates, Paul and his close associates on the one hand, and Tyrian and Ephesian leaders on the other hand, each of whom in the Spirit believe two different things. Now this is something that we American Christian Protestant Presbyterians do not like. We are binary thinkers. Left or right, Republican or Democrat, red or blue, liberal or conservative, SEC football or ACC basketball, right or wrong, good or evil. We may not like the choices before us from time to time, but for the most part, we would rather choose between one thing and another thing rather than muddy the waters with more choices or even to think that in the way of God, two seemingly opposite things might be true. We may live in one of the most educated zip codes in the world, but choosing between more than two options is something our minds cannot generally handle. 
So when the Spirit tells Paul, go to Jerusalem, and when the Spirit leads Christians with whom Paul is staying to say to Paul, don't go to Jerusalem, we as readers are perplexed, to say the least. Now in our our perplexity, we may even look for possible human explanations. Well, one of them has to be misinterpreting what the Spirit is saying. Maybe the Holy Spirit is testing them to figure it out further. Maybe one of them is just using the Holy Spirit to invoke God on the side of their argument. But none of these explanations satisfies here. In this situation... As far as it is possible for each person involved to determine, the Holy Spirit is leading some to say, go to Jerusalem, and others to say, don't go to Jerusalem. It is almost Lincoln's second inaugural. Both read the same Bible and pray to the same God. But their reading and prayer leads them to entirely different conclusions. So what do they do? Listen to the narration, narration which is provided in the first person plural by someone who is traveling with Paul but may or may not agree with his decision to go to Jerusalem. When our days entire were ended, we left and proceeded on our journey. All of the leaders of Tyre who at that time were male, with wives and children, escorted us outside the city. Then we knelt down on the beach and prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship to Jerusalem and they returned to their homes. Nobody changes his or her mind. Nobody gives in. Nobody compromises as important and valuable as compromise often is. But in the midst of their disagreement, and even in spite of their disagreement, They process to the gates of the city together. They go to a beach, a place where so much of what they had witnessed or heard about Christ had occurred, and thus a place of memory and learning that they shared. They kneel and they pray together. They say farewell to one another. Poignant, bittersweet, perhaps with hugs, perhaps with tears. Then Paul and his party board the ship that ultimately take them to Jerusalem. And the leaders of the church return to their homes at Tyre. 
As we read forward in the last quarter of the book of Acts, Paul is indeed arrested and jailed. He is persecuted. He is ultimately placed under house arrest in Rome. And we learn outside the New Testament that Rome is likely where Paul died. Thus, in the Spirit, Paul knew he was going to face these things. And in the Spirit, the leaders in Typhus the leaders of Ephesus and Tyre knew he was going to face these things. And he did face them. This disagreement between Paul and church leaders is not resolved in this story. But the key is that they remain in community. They process to a place of shared sacred memory. A beach, not unlike those on which Jesus often taught. They pray together. They part together. But even in their parting, they respect what the Spirit is saying to the other. And in that sense, that very important sense, they remain in community. Now, I don't know how easily these disagreements within the early church, the early Christian community, translate into the broader aspects of our age of disagreement. But I think this story from the early church can show us that we as human beings can talk together in community about what the deepest aspects of our consciences are leading us to believe and do. We can process together to the edges of our cities and return to places of common learning and common memory. And even when we go our separate ways, we can do so with mutual respect. In so doing, we will follow in a secular way something that is embodied in this incident that occurred in the earliest days of Christianity. I believe I shared with you that, I believe I've shared with you several years ago that the first time I visited Washington, D.C. was in 1990 when I visited here to conduct a wedding. I had a few hours free on the day of the wedding. And the monument that I wanted to visit was the Vietnam Veterans Memorial, which had opened eight years earlier. As I walked along the black granite wall, I was drawn to the people standing and looking at the names engraved, people making their own etchings, bowing in prayer, wiping tears from their eyes. At one point, I noticed two men standing together looking at an etching that one of them had made. One was stocky, bearded, long-haired, wearing blue jeans and a jacket that said Vietnam veterans against the war. The other was neat, trim, in navy blues 
and polished shoes. They stood together, arms around each other, reading the name and even touching the paper on which it had been etched. They embraced. They shed tears. Then one of them turned to leave this way and the other turned to leave this way. I can only imagine how each came to believe what he believed concerning our involvement in Vietnam. How each came to do what they were currently doing in light of their belief and that involvement. I can only imagine the loss they felt as they traced the name on the wall and held the etching in their hands. I can only guess how they might have been related to the person who bore the name and how even they were related to each other. Were they brothers? Were they cousins? Were they childhood friends? Were they perhaps former shipmates? I do not know if anything they said in their moment of embrace and in their moment of parting, but even in the disagreement reflected in the attire that each had chosen to wear to the dark granite monument, they were together, together, as they stood and even as they parted. Sometimes the Spirit seems to say, perhaps says, go to Jerusalem. Sometimes it says, don't go. Beneath such unfathomable disagreement, such radically different instructions in the mystery of who the Spirit is, if we let ourselves and if we work at it hard enough we can find a unity that is more important that is more beautiful than even agreement Amen